0: All right. This morning we are continuing our series called "You Are Here," and we have one of our pastors from Mariners Church here with us. Uh, one of the best-looking pastors. We, what? One wow. of my favorite pastors. That's, this is Kyle Zimmerman. Better. I'm happy to be a favorite. Yeah. There you uh, go. Thanks. Cool. And an overwhelming response from you this morning, I might add. Uh, <laughs> I was here a few weeks ago uh, with Mike, and we were sort of uh, laying out this adventure that he's on about exploring becoming a senior pastor of a large church in Southern California called Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton. And in the interest of living honestly with you, as we said we would do in that journey, today uh, we are going to pause and we are going to pray for Mike and for that church and for the kingdom, because today and next week, Mike is there teaching that church. It's sort of their dating, I guess, if you would. And so, I think all of us believe and know that Mike is a pretty amazing teacher, and so, who knows, they may put a ring on the finger one of these days. Um, But if you would, just close your eyes and bow your heads, and let's just pray together. Father, today we gather and we have been singing songs and proclaiming truth and remembering who you are, that you're good and you're faithful and you're reliable and dependable and you are loving And so we thank you uh, for the relationships that we build in you and in your community, and we thank you for the gift that Mike has been to us as a church family. And today we stop and we pray for him and his family, that you would continue to give them wisdom. And even today, as he is teaching and speaking uh, to EV Free God, that you would allow him to be all that he is in that space, that uh, you would give him your heart and your words and your courage and your wisdom to speak boldly and passionately about who you are to that church. And God, in that, um, we know and believe that you are not just about loving one person or one church or one community or one denomination or even one state or county or country. As we pray, we remember that you are a God that has a story that you're writing all over this world about people that are courageously following you. And so we believe that you will bless and favor and love all of your children And so we are simply praying, thy will be done in this story, believing and knowing that you are doing something beautiful in South County through this church and through these people here today. And in that, Father, we pray that you would allow us in this space to turn loose of the things that are distracting us and confusing us. God, that we would hear your voice today. None of us is here by accident, and so we just acknowledge that truth and we uh, we open our lives and our minds to you, that you would speak to us and that we could leave differently because we hear you and because we courageously respond to you. And we pray this in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to be looking, well, we're going to be starting uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, or as my youngest son calls it, Little Biticus, <laughs> chapter 23. So if you want, you can flip there uh, and we'll be hopping around. But as Cole said, you can see punch fountains and baptisms and balloons always scream of celebration, right? And so when we say celebrate, what comes to mind? Party. party punch fountains and balloons and cookies and bar tables, right? All, I mean, all those great things, which for some of you that are old enough like me to remember Cool and the Gang, I mean, does it get any better than celebrate good times? Come on. I mean, you don't have a party without that song. So we'll have to see if we can dial that up on the patio this afternoon. Um, But that's kind of what it looks like. We know what we celebrate in life. It's pretty easy. I have um, three kids. I have two sons and a daughter, and both my sons just wrapped up uh, a little baseball season. This is their second year playing baseball. So my oldest son ends up on this kid pitch team, and here's it's a tale of two teams. Uh, His team, he doesn't know anybody, and he just embarks on this journey, and he starts making friends, and they end up winning a game, and. He's getting better, and they're all getting better, and they win four games, and then they win five. They went undefeated this year. And so every game, you just went with the sense of anticipation, and this is going to be amazing. And at the end, it culminates in the giant dog pile on the infield, you know, and them screaming, and it's like beautiful. We're celebrating. My youngest son, Tate's team, on the other hand, did not win a baseball game all year long. So Cade's team, 14-0, Tate's team, 0-14. Right, right. So, you know, those moments, he's coming home, and it's like, ah, uh, well, at least, you know, you're looking for things to celebrate. At least you didn't get mercy today, son. You know, it, you only lost by seven, you know, or nine. Or, but, you know, you're just looking for ways to celebrate. And you think about all the things that we celebrate in life. Those are the easy things, the victories, the promotions. You know, we got the job. You're dating somebody, and you ask them to marry you, and they say yes. You know, those are the great moments in life that all of us celebrate. But what happens When those things don't go your way? What happens when just sort of the natural, cultural way that we we celebrate doesn't play out? Because that's the way we tend to view celebration, by our own comfort, or by our own safety, or by our own uh, victory. And that's, unfortunately, the way that we tend to project the idea of biblical celebration onto God as well. We tend to think that that's how God celebrates, and that's what God celebrates, And so today, we're just going to explore what that looks like, because we have to believe there's more to celebration. And so for us, as as followers of Jesus, of people that know here, we know that God is going to align our hearts with His, and we're just going to kind of get recalibrated to truth. Maybe for some of us, we've sort of been exploring this whole idea of God and Jesus and the church. Maybe it's your first time here. You're going to get an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to say, I believe I believe that this story is true and I want that, I want that idea of celebration to be true in my life. We're going to add to our perspective and it's my prayer that we don't just layer the spiritual perspective onto our view of what celebration is, the cultural view, but it becomes a foundation that's something all of us can build upon. So the first thing we need to know is where did celebration get started? What does this look like? Well, you need to know it was created and mandated by God. The word remember is all through the Bible, right? I mean, you guys, we read and we see it all the time. Remember, remember, remember. It's interesting to know, though, that the word remember in Hebrew wasn't just about like recall. It wasn't like, oh, I remember that. I can take a test now. I've got the information. The word remember was about reenacting. It was about rehearsing. It was something that you invested in with your whole life. You told stories about And so God creates the idea of celebration biblically for us to remember and rehearse who he is, what he had done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Okay, so let me say that one more time. God creates the idea of celebration biblically to remember who he is, what he had done, what he is doing, and what he was going to do. So look at Leviticus 23, just the first couple verses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Two verses. God saying, these are the festivals, these are the feasts, these are the celebrations you are to have. He then, the rest of the chapter, goes to outline these things. But before we do that, notice a couple things. These sacred assemblies, these feasts, these festivals are not like the festivals that come to mind or the feasts that we come to mind today. It's not a punch fountain and some balloons and some cookies on bar tables. Not that that's bad. That's a good thing. But it's not five minutes with friends. You know, for me, my idea of a feast growing up, I grew up in a a pretty conservative uh, Christian church. We had these things called potlucks. Which just by the name itself, you should know that it's not going to be amazing, right? Potluck. It sounds like it's chance. Anybody ever been to a potluck? Okay, you guys know stuff. You know, it's like you go and there's like seven variations of potato salad, and this was our idea of feasting in this, this room called a fellowship hall with orange carpet and, you know, really close tables and me as like a kid going through this line and would you like some more potato salad? And it's like, no, the five variations that I have on my plate are going to work just fine. Like that was our view of feasting. And it's like, really God, is this the best you could do? And the answer is, no, I can do better. Look what I commanded. And these feasts that he set up, they would be days on end. They would be singing and dancing, and you would travel together as groups, and you would remember, reenact, rehearse the stories that existed for generations before you. It was not potato salad for dinner and then go home. Even one of the feasts is the Sabbath. It's about a day where you stop and do nothing Do nothing but rest and remember who God is. So look at these other feasts that God outlines here. Here's a few of them. The appointed feasts, Passover, celebration of the liberation of the people from captivity and slavery in Egypt. Yom Kippur, the atonement or the payment for our sin. Pentecost, the giving of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, which was God's word to them at that time. Rosh Hashanah, being brought to account for their sin. Or Sukkot, the festival of booths where it just was about wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. Even for that festival, what they do is they would move out of their houses, they would build these shacks, and they would live in them for eight days as families and as a community. There was a deep commitment to remember and reenact and rehearse and celebrate God's story at work in the world. And as you look at those things, there's some amazing things about that. There's a lot to celebrate in terms of freedom from captivity and slavery, in terms of a payment for our sin and our brokenness, in terms of provision while you're out wandering in the desert that God's providing and sustaining. Great things. But there's also an incredible story of pain associated with all of that. Because remember, in order to be freed from captivity, you have to have been in captivity for over 400 years. In order to receive a payment for your sin and your brokenness, you would have to acknowledge that you're sinful and you're broken. In order to acknowledge God's provision in wandering, you would have to acknowledge that you are wandering in a desert with nothing for years on end. And in the biblical context and in the biblical view and perspective, celebration is always about both sides of the story. It's not just the things that we celebrate the end of the journey where we're comfortable and we're protected and we're safe and things are nice and happy. It's not based on our feelings or our circumstances. Remember, biblical celebration, the fullest view of living fully in celebration is acknowledging first and foremost who God is, his character, and then what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. The fullest and most complete view is that it is a response to the kingdom of God at work in the world today. The advancement of God's kingdom, what is that? Of forgiveness, of kindness, of love, of generosity, of compassion, of mercy. That, those are the things that God consistently highlighted to celebrate. The essence of celebration is the fulfillment of God's kingdom mission to restore everything back to the way he originally designed it. Because we remember the story, right? The beginning, Genesis, the first couple chapters, it's about God creating everything. And he's designing and making everything, and he's declaring it good. Whether it's the animals, or the land, or the sea, or the air, the sun, the stars, it's all good. And then he creates man in his own image. And he says, it's not good. Why? It needs woman needs a partner, and then he says, now that's very good, right? And then everything was just supposed to exist in harmony and relationship with God and with each other, all of creation. But what happens? There's this brokenness, this fallenness that exists in Adam and Eve, where they start to chase their own desires, their own pursuit of power and knowledge out of their own pride. And they create this distance and separation from God by violating what he had called them to. And so from the rest of Genesis, that's like like the first three chapters. And so the whole rest of the Bible then becomes this great plan of redemption and restoration. Of God acting this out. And so he consistently is saying celebrate, remember, have festivals. To remember the whole picture, the whole view of who I am of how I've provided, about what I have done, what I am doing, and what I will do, that my kingdom is advancing in this world around you through love and kindness and generosity. And so even in moments of celebration today, Cade's team, I mentioned my oldest son, they went 14-0. It was unbelievable, moments of victory and celebration. But at the same time, it was one of the most painful relational teams we've ever been a part of. Now, I know kids' sports is a little dangerous anyway, right? I mean, the kids are wonderful, it's the parents, like, we're crazy. But Cade's team, one of his coaches, just had rage that would just come out, and he would yell at kids, and he would yell at his other coaches, and it was just painful to watch, and it created this relational distance between him and some of the parents, to the point that one of the kids, right before the end of the season, the last game, they left the team, he didn't even get a chance to celebrate with his teammates, He didn't get a chance to experience the fullness of the victory. So you have this amazing victory taking place, but at the same time, this brokenness that exists right alongside of it. Tate's team, they never won a game, right? And so you're finding things to celebrate in the midst of it. But on the other hand, there was some beautiful redemption that God was at work in that we had no idea going through the midst of it. Holiday, my wife and I developed relationships with some of the families. And one of them ended up joining a rooted group with us. And as part of this, for the first time in 15 years, they're able to talk honestly about their marriage, which was at, at an incredibly desperate place, almost to the brink of divorce. And I don't know how the story is going to play out. We're right in the middle of it. But you know what? At least we're seeing honesty and confession and humility and surrender in a way and in a place that we would have never imagined. Another couple on the team, my wife, has gotten to counsel and lead them through, both of them struggling and wrestling with addiction, and it's just eroding their marriage. And so on a team, on the surface, where there's nothing to celebrate, you see God at work. You see the kingdom advancing through forgiveness and kindness and compassion and mercy, and these two things just exist right alongside of each other. And so today, we're kind of focusing on the whole view of celebration and keeping the perspective and view that God is at work. And that's his definition of celebration. And for some of us in this room, I know that you're existing in a space where you're just trying to make it. The idea of celebrating, whether it's balloons and flowers and cards and cake, or whether it's just acknowledging God's presence, it may even be all you can be to just get here today. Because of a physical issue you're wrestling with, or financially, job stuff, relationship, Next week, we are going to spend all morning on lament, because God knows, and he's with us in both sides of these things. That's why he's calling us to celebrate the whole story. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But the Old Testament, we see what this looks like. We see the kingdom advancing. We see this restoration journey about God being played out. And sort of one of the big defining tipping points of that is in the New Testament, where we see Jesus coming onto the scene. If you flip over to Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist had just baptized Jesus and he says this, Jesus does, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The right time. It wasn't mean like, hey, it's noon. It's the right time. What he's saying is, what he's announcing is, this is God's preordained, planned time. This is God's moment. The time is now. For what? The kingdom of God has come near. And it's not near as in like, Monday is near tomorrow, or that Dana Point is near. It's near as in like, it's right here. It's among you. The kingdom of God is among you. Now, God has said, I am going to come close to you. And I am giving you myself in the expression of my son, Jesus. So why? So you can repent. Turn. Turn away, not just from your sin and your brokenness. There's a way now to be in relationship. But turn also from the legalism and the rules and the rituals and the trying to earn your way and your favor to be in relationship with me. Repent and just believe the good news. That this is my son, the expression of my kingdom advancing in this world, coming close to you. Jesus announces the arrival of this kingdom. And what did he consistently celebrate and point to as he went through his journey? He was consistently celebrating and pointing out not birthdays and all those things. That's not what we see celebrated in the Bible. He was consistently pointing out and throwing festivals and feasts and hanging out with who? the sinners and the tax collectors and the outcasts of the world. When he gave stories, he'd tell them, hey, when you throw parties, don't invite your friends. Make sure you invite people that you don't know. When he talked to us about love and kindness, he would say, love your enemies, not just your friends, not just your family members. Love those that are hard to love. Love those that are distant. He was pointing out who God was and how he was at work and wanted to be at work in the world today. When he was in the temple and people were bringing their offerings, there was a rich man who came and gave a very small percentage, a huge amount, but a small percentage of what he had. And then there was a lady who came and gave everything she had, and he celebrated that. There was a lady a few days before he was to die on a cross for us. She came and she took this alabaster jar of perfume that represented a year's worth of salary. So get a year's worth of salary in your mind for you. And then offer that all to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. Look, this is worth celebrating because this is the kingdom of God advancing. And these things did not come without sacrifice. They didn't come without a real sense of danger and a possibility that these people wouldn't be as safe and secure in their own possessions and powers they were before but yet that's what jesus consistently pointed out when he was teaching the disciples how to pray they said hey teach us how to pray he says okay and we know this our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name keep us comfortable no that's not what he said right thy kingdom come one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's who God is that's what he's about and that's what Jesus was consistently pointing out and celebrating in his journey and none of it comes without a sense of sacrifice none of it is about our own comfort or about our happiness or about our own sense of protection or safety or mobility it's all about thy kingdom come and thy will be done God's kingdom work advancing in this world around us It's what Jesus ultimately modeled for us. One of the best passages we have to describe who Jesus was and what he invites us into is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. Jesus is showing us how to live fully in this world. And it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearances a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the most humiliating way to die at that time. So, what's the mindset of Jesus that he's modeling for us? The mindset of one is total sacrifice, total surrender to all of his comfort and convenience. And this is God surrendering position and power and authority and all of that to become like a human. And to live this journey of what? He wasn't exactly celebrated by everybody, he was abused, he was beaten. Ultimately, he was lied about. He was spit upon. Ultimately, he died because of thy kingdom come and thy will be done. The most dangerous moment for Jesus was probably the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he's led away to be crucified, he's praying. And what's his prayer? God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let this not happen. But ultimately, thy will be done. He was not about his own comfort and convenience. He was not about his own sense of happiness and safety. He was about the kingdom of God advancing in the world around him. He was about this incredible display of love and kindness and generosity and sacrifice and forgiveness. And we celebrate his incarnation. We celebrate that Jesus came close because he absorbed the full force of pain and evil and punishment. Not because of the protection that it gives us from harm. Not because somehow it makes us safe. Not because somehow following Jesus or celebration in God's view is always nice and happy. But because it's a profound way of marking who God is and how he's at work in the world around us, even in us and through us. And it wasn't just Jesus' journey. It's what he challenged and invited us into today and even his disciples at that time. A couple of his closest friends, if you look in Acts chapter 4, his disciples, this is when he's gone away and they're advancing the message of the kingdom and the world around them. And the religious leaders are still just irate. They had just, disciples had just healed a man. And so they're saying, you can't do that. And they're saying, stop it. Don't talk about Jesus. And so they put him in jail. Look at verse verse 3 of chapter 4 of Acts. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So they're being threatened with their lives. They're actually being put in jail. And yet the kingdom of God is still advancing in the world. So look what happens. They keep threatening them to stop teaching. And then in verse 23, we see on their release, Peter and John go back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which basically was a bunch of threats to stop it or else. And ultimately they couldn't do anything else, so they released them. And when they heard this, this is the community of believers with Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now a couple things about this that are interesting to me. One of them is, if I'm Peter and John, I'm a little bit bummed at the response of the people right now. Because quite honestly, I still move through life in a way that thinks primarily of me first and everybody else second. And so here I am, I just was in jail I'm taking all of this punishment for preaching and proclaiming this message of Jesus, and all I would want is if you're going to throw a party or celebrate or acknowledge something, how about me? We just got out of jail. But there's no sense of that. Not only in the community, but there's no sense of that in Peter and John. There's no bitterness, not even at the community, and not at God. So many times I move through life trying to make this deal with God. Right? Like, God, don't you see what I'm doing for you here? Can't you show up a little bit here and do this for me? Can't you acknowledge? Like, look what I just did for you. Peter and John don't say that. The community doesn't say that. Are they excited that their friends are back? I'm sure they were. But they aim, they aim their celebration back at God. Because they knew what celebration was all about. They knew these festivals They knew that the kingdom of God was advancing. Over 5,000 people, because that was just men, had just said yes to the good news that Jesus had come close, that the kingdom of God was advancing in the world around them. And so not only are they praying and celebrating at that, look at what they pray for in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is what they had just gotten thrown in jail for. They get released. They're celebrating. And what are they celebrating? The kingdom of God at work in the world around them. And what are they inviting? God, do it again. Do it again. This is what we're here for. This is what we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of this reckless, radical life of following you and seeing you work and move. They just healed somebody in the name of Jesus. Do it again, God. Let your kingdom move forward and advance. Why do we celebrate? Because of who God is. He commanded it. He is a God who celebrates. What do we celebrate? The kingdom of God at work in the world. How does that look? It looks like our lives lived courageously out in the name of Jesus, wherever He's called us to be. And that how is something that has grown and has, even this past week, as I've studied and looked at this, has been incredibly challenging for me. As I'm reminded and look at what that really looks like, I've been a Christian since I was about five years old. I've probably really been a Jesus follower only since I was 28 and I'm like 42 so maybe the last 15 years of my life would I say that I'm following Jesus what do I mean by that well for me it started when I got married and it's not like that's this huge sacrifice and surrender and painful things so don't go tell my wife that but there is a lot of sacrifice involved in marriage my wife lives a life that is radically about other people Prior to meeting her and becoming married, most of my life, particularly my my Christian journey, was about learning a lot about God and about Jesus, and really trying to become more like him, but just for the sake of being good, because that's how I felt loved and valued, and that's what I thought he wanted. I thought it was just about me getting better so that he would love me more. And my wife sort of said, hey, she didn't say this, but what she's saying is, look at celebration. Look at what celebration truly is. It's the kingdom of God at work in the world. And how does the kingdom, how is it at work in the world today? Well, it's through us. That's the way God chooses to love the world around us. And so the first thing she did is she took me and, um, to a motel in Costa Mesa. And I started meeting families in motels in Costa Mesa and Santa Ana and Anaheim and other places that basically are like transient homeless people living in Orange County. And for me at that time, I was like, there's homeless people in Orange County? Like, it looks so nice. Like, haven't you seen the TV shows and stuff? Aren't we all okay? And like, you know, it's kind of glossy. And the only thing I knew about homeless other than that is maybe somebody occasionally on a freeway with a sign that I would choose to ignore. Because it's like, well, they should, there's help wanted signs they can go find a job. So she said, hey, you need to come and meet some of these people. And so we developed relationships that she had already established with these families living in motels. And come to find out they're just like me. And they're just like you. People trying to make their way through life and become a better father, a better mother. Keep their marriages afloat. They just want relationship and counsel and guidance. Somebody to care for them. Just to acknowledge they exist. They exist. And then, about eight years ago, we move into this neighborhood, and she decides, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be the house that has the garage door up all the time, and that the doors are always open, and kids are always welcome. And I say she decided that because she decided that. She did not ask me if that's what I wanted. Because what I wanted was to go home every day and shut the garage door and keep everything nice and tight and insulated and safe and secure, because I want to rest, and I just want to live this quiet life, and I don't want my life disrupted. So now, for the past eight years, we've become that house. And every day I come home and there's, I have three kids, and it feels like 30 most days. There's bikes and razors and skateboards, and there's kids jumping in the pool, and they're just running through the house wet. And I'm like, you're going to slip. So, but here's what happened is, is we've, we've become uh, a safe place to the point that uh, even a week ago, There was a couple junior high kids that live across the street from us and they came over and it was kind of late. It was a little after nine. And we had just gotten our kids to bed and we're cleaning stuff up and we hear this knock at the door and we're like, what? And these kids are at the door and they're like, hey, and we know them. And they said, hey, our our dad is, is, he's passed out drunk again and can we just talk? And so we invite him in our house and say, sure. And there's no answers for that guys. There's no, here's what you need to do. All we do is just love them and go, wow, you guys are in a tough space, and it's just not what God designed for you. But let us care for you in the midst of it. And it's not just about what's happening about there. Um, We we eventually decided to invite that into our house in a more practical, tangible way uh, through a program called Safe Families. And our church was one of the first churches in California to to do this. I think Barb talked to you guys a couple weeks ago about it. And basically, we, as believers, get to invite and care for kids whose families get put into crisis. And so before they end up in in the county systems, the county is coming to us as a church and saying, here, do you want to care for people? So Holiday and I were like, man, we have to. How do we say no to that? I wanted to say no to it. She said, how do we say no to it? And so the first thing that happened is we ended up with these two little girls. And they hardly spoke any English, a lot of Spanish. I'm not very good at Spanish, for those of you that know me. But we got to find out more of what the story was. Um, they were supposed to be with us about three weeks, and they were with us for over three months. And both of them had birthdays. Two of our kids had birthdays in that same season. It was crazy. Not to mention the fact it just unwound in a way that we never could have predicted. We found out it wasn't just these two girls, but there was actually five girls that this, this mom had had, and they were at a couple different houses around Southern California. We actually found out why their English wasn't very good, because they had just come back across the border from Mexico about three weeks prior to be with their mom. They were living with their dad and his girlfriend in Mexico, and they were abused and beaten in every way possible. And they used to live under their house and hide in Mexico every single day. And they'd have to sneak out to go get food from other people's houses or even the trash heap for like 18 months prior to them coming to our house. And so you can imagine the stories that they had and what they'd been exposed to in this world. And all of a sudden, they are living right alongside our kids. That seems dangerous, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem scary? it it was and it still is for me and that was an incredibly difficult season the tension that was placed on our marriage and on our family and on our kids i can't even tell you how painful sometimes it was i felt like i lost my wife in different ways her spirit just got crushed but both those girls accepted jesus cuz they came to church with us on weekends my wife developed a relationship with the mom that over those three months grew where they could become friends and she got to help pour into her and for the first time she became somebody that said, you can do this. I don't think anybody would ever told her that. Our church got to give them a car that somebody had donated. So now this mom gets to live with her girls and she comes to church every single weekend. She's been through Rooted. She's been baptized. She said yes to Jesus. Because for three months, it was incredibly painful and uncomfortable for us. But that's worth celebrating. But it requires Mm -hmm. thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And the way that it happens and how it shows up is through our choices and our decisions to live out a life of faith. And it's not just us. I hear stories in our church all the time of life groups who one of them will lose a job and they will rally together and help support the other one and make sure that they make it. They'll raise money to send each other to school or even to seminary. The stories of generosity in this church, we're in this church today because this wall came down. Because over a year ago, some of you said, we have have friends and neighbors that want to come to church here. We have to make space. We have to find a way to tell the story to more people. So we build out the second floor over there so that students can meet up there now because they need the story. There's open seats around you, and that's a good thing because there's people in your lives that need to hear about what celebration and living fully looks like in terms of even painful and difficult circumstances. There's stories in our church of people pursuing adoption, which is hard, but it's the kingdom of God at work in the world. There's stories in our church of marriages that are being redeemed, that were incredibly broken because of honesty and confession and humility and surrender and forgiveness. The kingdom of God at work in the world, it's all around us. And it's us. It's how we put God and the gospel of Jesus on display. It's the incredible invitation that he gives all of us. So this whole story of redemption and reconciliation gets played out through Jesus. And we come to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. God paints this great picture of what the ultimate sort of redemption and reconciliation, heaven, will look like. And you know what he uses? The imagery of a wedding feast. Our God is a God who celebrates and knows what it looks like. And we know weddings. Think about it. We've all been to we've all been to weddings. We've been invited to weddings. Some of us have been in weddings. Some of us have gotten married. And we know what that looks like. And we know what it's like to have a view of a wedding, whether you're the family of, or the friends, or a close friend. You celebrate and you're excited. But we also know what it looks like to not be invited to a wedding. We know what it looks like to have somebody getting married that maybe we used to be close to, and now we're far from. And there's a sadness that exists in that space. And the beautiful thing about this wedding feast is that everybody's invited. And God is saying with the gift of Jesus, you're all invited. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this wedding feast. And everything we live out now in this world is not just waiting for that moment. Everything we live out now in this world is about taking part in the kingdom of God at work in the world. It's about practicing for what heaven will look like. We are learning to live the life of heaven right now. So this morning, I want to give you guys an opportunity, maybe some of you for the very first time, to say yes to this story. Maybe this is a story and a journey that's been swirling in you for a long time. Maybe you've sort of believed it on your own. But in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it just says, if, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you say, I believe, then you will be saved. It's the invitation to the feast. And really, it's a courageous step, right? To be able to say, I believe in front of a bunch of people but it's something we're familiar with because just like that wedding we've all been to weddings and you gather family and friends and you all come together and you stand in front of a pastor they say hey are you in and you say I will I do I'm in whatever you choose to say and so believing in your heart is an important step but so is confessing with your mouth and saying, I believe, because it allows the community to celebrate with you. It's the way and one of the most profound ways we get to see the kingdom of God at work and alive in the world around us today. So today, if this is you, if today's your day, if this is your story, and this is your moment, so you are choosing to say, I believe this story, God. Just stand wherever you are and say, I believe. I believe. You got to say it loud so we can hear and celebrate. Okay. Come on, say it loud. Atta boy. Okay, hold on, there'll be more. Good for you. Good for you. a girl. takes a lot of courage, I know. I know it takes a lot of courage, but following Jesus takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Say it. want to join these folks maybe today you're like me um, maybe you believe but maybe today's the day that you're going to choose to follow in a different kind of way you see in 2nd Corinthians 5 it says that God was in Jesus reconciling the world back to himself And it says, Jesus, when we believe in him, he gives us this ministry of reconciliation. So then we become his ambassadors to the world around us. Which means we have to live this life of complete surrender and complete sacrifice. It's not just about believing a set of values and truths. It's about living a life of thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And so today, is there anyone here that just wants to say, I'm going to choose to follow. Just stand and say, I'll follow. That's good, that's Stay. Stay standing. Anybody else? Stay standing. Okay, here's the deal. If you stood and said, I believe or I will follow, will you just stand up real quick? And if you are the people around these folks, would you just gather with them real quick and just put a hand on them as we pray? If you're seated around them, you can just extend a hand a blessing towards somebody close to you, just as a way, our way of representing that we are with you as a community. And let's pray. God, today we remember who you are, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are powerful. You are purposeful, God. We remember what you've done in the gift of your son, Jesus that you came to us because there's nothing we could do to ever earn or work our way towards you. We remember what you're doing in the world around us, that you're inviting us and calling us and leading us and guiding us and provoking us to courageous decisions, to believe in you, to follow you courageously. And God, what you will do, that you will use us as your followers to change the world around us, And that is not in our own strength and that is not in our own power, but it is by totally surrendering and dying to ourselves and living a life that Jesus modeled of thy kingdom come and thy will be done. A life that sees the kingdom of God advance in the world around us because of your power and your spirit. And so God, specifically as a community for these people today that stood and said, I believe we celebrate with them the joy of new life. That you are not simply remodeling their hearts, and their minds, but they are new creations in you. And for those that stood to say they will follow courageously, God, we believe and know that they will change the world. And so, God, we thank you for what you're doing today, and we celebrate your power and your goodness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. (laughs)